0: Just help me believe that I am someone worth dying for. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome, welcome to TLC. Good to have you guys here. We have a lot of great things happening. Uh, first, let's give it up. Are they here? Are our wedding people here? Are they here? They're not here? No, they're still wild, wild, too wild. All right. So, first, uh, Andrew and Perrin got married yesterday, so give it up for them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. Okay, we got a lot of uh, cool things happening. Also, we are we're welcoming our freshmen in today. If you're a freshman, can you stand up? If you're a freshman, can you stand up? All right, Tasha, Jonathan, yeah. The other freshmen, the freshmen. All right, welcoming our freshmen. Yeah, man, man. dude. So many years ago, they were just children ministry. Now they're equal with us. It's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, give it up for Billy on the Keys. Yes, you see here, Billy on the Keys. Say, yeah. Yeah. Praise God for that. All right, man. All right. Hey guys, welcome. Hey, we. Oh, one more thing. I totally forgot. Um, Evan had his baby. Right. Eleanor is born. Eleanor is born. Yes. This is. She is gorgeous. I think they have a picture of him somewhere, but, you know, like a beautiful baby. There's a lot of great news. A lot of great news for September. Praise God for that. September is a great month. It is a great month. Okay. We are in a new series, actually. Our new series that we're starting is called uh, Making Room for Jesus. Can we put that up there? There you go. Making Room for Jesus, right? Uh, It's an eight-week series. I'm glad that we, uh, we finished most of our series, but this series is a special series. I'm excited about this series because it's really going to address a big problem that we have. So we, we've, uh, we've talked about as a theme for the year is that uh, it's faith in action beyond our security, really living out our faith uh, effectively. We talked about just being game changers, challenging ourselves to do um, those things, going all in with the stewardship uh, series that we just had about where to serve, how to serve, how to love, what to do, with what God's given to us now. But in the midst of all of that, we realize, I realized something. I realized that life is real, right? And life gets in the way of all of this nice, really beautiful stuff we talk about, right? In the church, it's really really easy to talk about impact, and it's really easy to talk about inspiration. It's really easy to talk about go out there, make a difference. But the reality is oftentimes we we face the difficulties of just day-to-day, and we don't actually have room for Jesus. We just kind of try to do our best to put him in there somewhere, but he's not actually of the storyline you know and and we dream about it we talk we, we think about it i i recently discovered on instagram there's like um I'm, I'm really late to the game so forgive me like there's there's people with this blue check mark next to them right and when, when you have a blue check mark next to you you're apparently an influencer right so i said like, do you get paid for this it's like no but they get a lot of money because they get a lot of free things i'm like oh that's crazy right like so what like so how do i become an influencer it's like first you have to be popular right and people actually have to follow you and that's how you influence people because you influence them towards certain things and so i started reading these people's comments about when they start posting i started reading about the people's comments upon them you know usually a bunch of emojis or whatever but oftentimes there are comments right and the comments are it's 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 indicative of a one like unifying concept and it's this idea that i wish i could be you i wish i could be a part of that i wish i could do that You know, and and so what I begin to see is that I see a whole, like, thousands of people commenting towards these influencers wishing to have a life of impact, wishing to actually be people of impact, right? And then the more I think about it, the more I'm thinking, like, well, but why are you just wishing, and why aren't you actually doing it? All right, why, why are we just sitting around dreaming of a life that we think, oh, look at that vacation, or look at the yoga that they're doing, or whatever it is that's out there, right? (laughs) It's Look at at what they're doing, and I want to be a part. I want to actually do this and impact people and actually be a motivation and inspiration towards others. And then I realized, how come we don't realize that in the church, we have the greatest thing to actually make a real impact for, right? Rather than just outward impact of uh, vanity, impact of money, or impact of... uh, uh, careers, but we have a truth that can actually impact the fundamental basis of someone's trajectory forever. We have a, we have a gift that if we have also the courage to go out and use it, a truth that can fundamentally change the trajectory of the life of someone else around us. Right? And the reality is because oftentimes we get distracted in the midst of life. We don't make room for Jesus in it. And so this series is really to address this concern, that you are distracted because of work, you are distracted because of school, you are distracted because of family. You're distracted by a lot of different things, and in that distraction, you forget to have room for Christ. And so we want to be able to um, teach you guys, kind of re-guide you guys in how to, in our day-to-day life, put God in there in our day-to-day experience, in our day-to-day interaction, that Jesus is part of that, okay? That's the, the heart of it, and that's why we need this church, is the Church of Corinth, uh, which is the main book that we're going to be dealing with, First Corinthians. This church in Corinth is very similar to our church, or very similar to our church nowadays. It is part of a huge metropolis, the city of Corinth. It is like New York. It's like L.A. It's like the Hollywood of the time, okay? Everyone is there. It's culturally diverse, there's many different cultures because everyone goes there to make money. They go in there to make money quick, and they try to get out as quickly as possible. But they find out that once they go in there to get, make money, they're stuck there for a long time, right? Culturally diverse. They had temp, they have, they have their temple worship. They had a class system. There was a huge division between rich and poor, okay? It's a very, very, very modern A very very similar type of environment that we find ourselves in nowadays. And so the church of Corinth is going to teach us a lot because in the midst of all of this diversity, in the midst of all of this uh, class system, Paul, uh, one of the the original apostles, you know, one of the apostles comes in and he established a church there. A church, he establishes leaders, he establishes people, and he moves on. And he's hoping that now that he has this group of people who has the greatest news possible, who can actually become influencers and game changers, who can change the trajectory of their community, their neighborhood, and the people around them, even their city, he was hoping that this church was going to do something awesome with it. But instead of actually becoming influencers, becoming game changers, be- making room for Christ in it, they actually kick God out of the picture, and the church ended up becoming more of this kind of um, subtle, wishy-washy kind of community. Um, they, were, they were being influenced rather than being influencers, right? Lots of people went back to their old habits within the church. Wine was expensive back then, right? So they, they came to church simply because... They took communion wine, right? So they got drunk off of the communion wine all the time. Uh, lots of people allowed their culture around them to influence their action within their community. They began sleeping with temple prostitutes, and they're just like, you know, I'm just trying to connect with my community. Back then, sleeping with temple prostitutes is a kind of normal thing. If you want to worship your, um, uh, you want to get along with the people within your, your 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 town, you would go to these temples. You would have kind of worship, and then as a act of it, you would sleep with a temple prostitute. Right? And there's a, and people are like, hey, man you have a wife. Why are you sleeping with temple process? Oh, no, I'm just trying to get along with my community. I'm trying to understand my culture here. I'm just connecting, you know, right? Uh, those, uh, those who were in the community who were trying to be faithful end up being, doing some really Christian gymnastics within the community, right? What I mean by that is they they, they they did a lot of dumb, they allowed for a lot of dumb things to happen, and what they said was, we're just trying to show love. We're just trying to Show grace to people. So they allow, for example, a, a man to sleep with his stepmom, right? And they, they, they kind of celebrated it. They're like, oh, yeah, look at them. They, so, they love each other. It's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's a great thing. Let's not be mean. Like, you know, we're, we're Christians. We got to love, right? Let's show some grace, okay? So they did a lot of uh, mental gymna- uh, Christian gymnastics to kind of make them as a church look more palatable to the community. And so instead of making room for Jesus, instead of becoming influencers, they kicked Jesus out of their daily life because daily life is difficult. And because instead of being influencers, they were being influenced all the time, right? And it, and it, and it seeps so deep within the church that it began to create areas of superiority versus inferiority. It, 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 um, it seeps so deep, uh, deep into the church where it, it separated people who were gifted versus people who weren't gifted, or, um, and they were moving towards this Church became, instead of the good news of a change of life, it became religion again. You guys get me? All right? And so my hope for this series is this, okay? My hope for this series is this, is that when we finish this series, what you will discover from it is that let's not, becoming, let's not be more religious as a community. And let's not also be more wild as a community. That's not, that's not the point of it. But let's be an actual gospel-centered community, a community that actually has Christ in it, a community that actually brings Jesus in such a way where it influences the trajectory and the life of those around us. And Paul, Paul comes in and he tells him this. If you really want to start to make room for him, for Christ in your life, one of the things that you have to understand, one of the hardest lessons, the hardest teaching that you have to understand as a church is how to bring people together. How to connect diversity, right? We all want to do that. We want to, we want to love people. We want to connect people. And Paul is saying that you, you got to bring people together. You got to bring differences together. You got to have a forum or a place where you can have differing opinions and yet somehow use, has the gospel as the, 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 the main trajectory, the main, main um, uh, source of direction towards the end of all of this. right? So bringing people together is such a difficult thing. And Paul is going to lay down for us the next five verses we're going to read. One of the most difficult to understand doctrine in the Bible, right? But once we begin to understand, at least once we begin to grasp it or to kind of even feel it, we see how it can actually has this power to make us as, as believers, make us as people come together and actually be able to see others differently, engage people differently when we can become influences rather than people who are influenced by those around us. You guys follow me? Okay? So that's what I'm hoping for, okay? So we're going we're gonna to look into this Bible. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. And we're going to learn today about a doctrine called the doctrine of election. Doctrine of election. Okay? If you understand this as a believer, you understand this just as a person in general, what you're going to see... Is how God uses this, this characteristics of the salvation to bring people together. Okay? First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Alright, listen now. Let me read this to you guys. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential. In the Lord, let Him who boasts boast in the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for Your Word today. As we begin to open up this uh, this truth, I pray, oh, Lord, that You would just teach this community this doctrine of election. That You would open our eyes to see what it looks like to, for us to understand, even as we wrestle with the difficulties of it. Help us to realize, Father God, that is actually in the revelation of the story of election, that we understand how to bring people together and how to love people um, adequately, faithfully. So, Lord, would you soften our hearts, would you open our minds, would you reveal truth unto us that we will grow in the knowledge of that, that we will make room for you in our daily lives. Oh, God, that we will become influencers in this world. We praise you, we thank you, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, electing grace. Okay, electing grace. This is a, you guys got to hang on with me for about 15 minutes. I'm going to go a little bit like, a little hard in in terms of information-wise, but hang with me, right? Or maybe 15 is too long. 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. 10 minutes, hold on to it, right? Focus for 10 minutes. Let me explain this to you so that you may understand how important this this doctrine is, this this set of uh, truth is, okay? Electing grace. So. So, when I say predestination, it's a very Christianese word in the Bible, or not in the Bible, in, in, it is in the Bible, but this, this really Christianese word that we use in church all the time, right? And what that usually means is that predestination is that God uh, has chosen some for life and God has chosen some for death, right? So, the word predestination uh, hits those two areas, chosen for life and chosen for death, that there is predestined for that, predestined for this. The word election, though, it's a different word. The word election is the positive version of that. The word election focuses on only, only those who are chosen for life. Right? Election is the doctrine that some are chosen for eternal life. It's the positive side of predestination. Okay? Some are chosen for eternal life, not all. And When we come to this topic within the church, it becomes very... Um, Difficult because all of a sudden your, your your sense of unfair injustice comes in. Like, how is that fair? How is that? How is that? How is this fair that God chooses some and not others? And why? Why is? Why does that person get God's grace and why does this person not get God's grace? That's the point of it. Right? And we're going to talk about that because if we understand this, you if you truly grasp this as a believer, if you're a Christian and you understand this, you will never be able to look at another person and think that you're better than them. Right? You'll never be able to. And actually, you'll be able to connect with people in a much deeper way than anyone else in this world that can. Because there's something very powerful about electing grace. Okay? So let me ask you this question. What is the cause of your salvation? What is the cause of your salvation? Look at verse 26. Let me read it to you guys. Brothers, think of what you were. Think of who you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. He was saying, like, none of you guys are very that special. Okay, that's really the thing that we got to get through our minds first. Is that, so oftentimes, our salvation—how we think like we're saved—is because we think somehow we're special. We think we have something. We have we have the it factor that allow for God to come and kind of like, oh, I, you have it, so let me come and save you because you have it, right? But Paul is saying none of you is really that special. No, maybe maybe special Ed, but not special, right? You you, you weren't you weren't distinct and you're not that unique but we, we grew up in this kind of mentality you think that you are special and so you feel entitled to a lot of things right but Paul comes and says you're really not that special and in fact verse 30 it says this it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness our holiness and our redemption what Paul is saying is this you are saved You are saved not because you are special. You are saved because of him. There is nothing you have done. So what does that mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? If you ever ask that question, or if you ask a question to yourself, and your answer is this, I'm just trying to be a Christian. I'm not good, but I'm trying. Then you do not understand what it means to be a Christian. Right? It's either you are or you are not. There's no really middle ground here. There's no really saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Being a Christian is not a, a pro, being a Christian is, is an identity factor. Either you are or you are not, right? Seth, you can't ask him, Seth, are you dad's son? Are you, are, you, are, you, are you PT's son? He's like, I'm trying, right? This doesn't really make sense. I'm trying. Like, yeah, you try harder, right? You know, you, you don't really say because he is either my son or he's not my son. There's no in between here. Okay, he's either my blood or he's not my blood. So in the same way, when you begin to say, what what, makes, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? You cannot say, I'm trying, All right? You're in Jesus Christ or you're not. There's no mixture of in or between. So what does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian is someone who does not look at their own specialness and think that they're special. There's nothing here. That the only thing that they have a claim to fame about that Jesus Christ is their holiness, that Jesus Christ is their redemption, that Jesus Christ is their righteousness, that Jesus Christ is our substitute and our sanctification. Jesus, I stand only because of him. A Christian will stand before God on on the day before you stand before God and he says, why? Tell me why, why do you feel worthy? Why do you feel like you deserve it? Why do you feel like you can enter into this place? And if you say, I've tried, I've tried with serving, I've tried with giving, I've tried to do what I thought was necessary, I tried to to, to fill in all the right blanks and all the right dot uh, checks, I did everything I was supposed to do, I, I was trying to be it, so this is my best I have to offer. And he says, I've never known you. Because to be a Christian is not about trying or not. But see, a believer would stand before God, and this is what he would say. He says, I have nothing to offer. There is no value, no gift, no worth, nothing that I have done in my life would ever compare or of worth before you. The only thing that I have a claim to is Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, who would die for a man and a woman like me. All I have is Jesus Christ the message of the gospel is that you cannot try. You cannot try. You're not confident in yourself. You're not confident in your work. You're not confident. The only thing, a Christian is not trying. They are chosen. They are elected. Either you are or you are not. If you believe in the gospel of grace, who believe in grace? right, I mean, raise your hand. All right, okay, awesome. That sounds like a Christian thing to do. Let's raise my hand for that one, right? That sounds pretty good. It's not a trick question, all right? If you, believe, see, if you believe in grace, can I tell you? If you believe in grace, if you actually believe that you were saved not because of something you did, then you believe in election. 100%. If you believe in grace, then you believe in the doctrine of election. You might be a little bit confused about the doctrine of election, but you believe in the doctrine of election. See, election means what? Like I said, I said, election means you are chosen for eternal life. You are elected by God for eternal life. If you believe in grace, you believe in election If you believe in the gospel, you have to believe in election. Think about it this way. Think of the person you were before. Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? If I ask you the question, how did you become a Christian? And you said, oh, man, I was at this retreat, and the, the pastor, he just spoke God's word into my life, and it just ugh, cut me deep. Right? And I just surrendered my life at that moment to God. I was like, wow. But why were you given the opportunity to be in that situation in the first place? Right? Oh, yeah, because our, our leaders were great. They, they, they put together this humongous retreat. They, they pulled everyone together. They were able to bring this uh, speaker to us, and it was just an amazing thing. It was just the right situation. Awesome. But why did your leaders were given the opportunity to invite this person? Oh, because our church is actually pretty well-off, and we, were, we didn't get a ghetto speaker. We got actually a good one, you know. And so this one came out, and, you know, like, um, uh, he, he, he spoke to us. Well, that's great. But why was your church in a position to be well-off? Well, you know, we have immigrant families who came from Vietnam who knew the difficulty of poverty, so they worked really hard when they came over to America to better themselves. So, you know, they, they got a uh, few, um, to build up for themselves some wealth, and so that, that, that wealth was distributed here in our church. Great, but why were they given the opportunity to come over to America? Oh yeah, well they the war happened and they were on the boat and they jumped on and we got here to the immigrants. So they all became immigrants. Yeah, but why did they survive the boat and not other people? Well, because the, the boat guy was pretty good, I guess, and he kind of <laughs> he kind of you know gave, gave us here. And like, okay, so why was he gifted? Why would why was he in the position that he was in the position to bring that to happen? And if you keep Asking that question, what you begin to realize, and if you're honest with yourself, what you begin to realize as it begins to unfold, that every moment of connection, every storyline, every thread was built by grace. It was not built by any skill set or any ability of their own, but it was built by grace working into their lives, doors opening, lives changing, hearts melted because of grace in that person's life. You came to faith not because you were special, not because you were gifted, not because you were able to hear better, listen better, educated more. You came to faith because of grace. So if you understand grace, and you understand that it is by that you were chosen to come here. If you take the question why to its ultimate end, you realize one simple fact. You were not saved because of anything you did or didn't do. You were chosen for it. All right? The so, PT, I don't like that. I don't like the idea. Like, I don't, I don't like the idea that I don't get a choice in this. I don't like the idea that I don't get free will, right? What, I'm in America. I'm an independent soul. I enjoy my free will. Let me, can I tell you something about free will? Free will is an illusion. Yeah, I know. You're like, what? Free will is an illusion. Free will is only driven by your inclination. It's only driven by what you desire. Can I give you an example, right? Let's see a baby. A baby and a diamond, Okay. Baby plays with the diamond like it's marbles. Yeah, no, no, right? It doesn't really have any value to it. It doesn't have any, because it has, it's in, internally, it's not inclined to see the value or the truth of that diamond. So that diamond is nothing to it. Diamond has no value, no worth, no nothing to that. But as you get older and the truth is revealed about the worth, the value, the hardest diamond, what it can do, what it cannot do, all of a sudden, what? Your choice changes because your choice was driven by your inclination. Your choice was driven by something else that was driving you, right? We, before God, are just a bunch of babies playing marbles with diamonds. We don't understand the truth of it. And when the truth of who he is was revealed, it changed everything about us. Your free will was not because you had this ability to freely choose. You chose because something changed within your heart, right? I'll give you an example, right? If I ever gave you two plates, and I use this example all the time in my Bible studies, is that if you ever had two plates, one is a steak, right, 40-day-old 40 40 steak, right, uh, given to you, or a steak of maggots, what would you choose, right? I'm pretty sure, hopefully, if you're not crazy, you would choose a steak, right? Do you know why you choose a steak? Because you're inclined to. Are you free to choose the maggots? Of course you are, but will you? no. You know why? Because your free will choice is driven not because you have free will, but because there's something else driving you. You guys get me? You guys get that? Okay? Your choice to choose is not because you have a free will. I can choose that if I wanted to, but you will never want to unless someone put a gun to your head, right? Then there's no longer free will or no longer choice. You've been, you're being driven by what? A gun to your head, okay? Something else is driving you. And in the same way, before we know God, you will never want God. Until he does what? Until he chooses you. He changes you. And all of a sudden, there is a transformation in the heart that gets you to choose. You are chosen. It's not because of what you want or what you do. It's not because of you really choosing something. It's not your free will. Free will is an illusion. And the more you keep thinking, I'm independent, I can choose myself, the more you don't realize. You're choosing not based upon what's happening in your heart. You're choosing because... There's something else that has influenced your heart. There's some God in your life that is driving you to do it. You guys get me? There is another God in your life. It is either our God or someone else that is driving you to choose what you are choosing. All right? So why does Paul push for this? Okay. What's so special about the election of grace? What's so special about electing grace, guys? If you understand electing grace, if you understand that you were chosen, not that you're not special, there's a profound power in that that helps you to love in a way that no other person can love. You guys realize that? If you recognize that you were chosen, that it was by grace, nothing that you've done, it has a profound ability, it has a profound power to help you to look at another person and never see yourself as superior or inferior to that person. That's why a doctor can look at a garbage worker and say I am no better than this worker based on my vocation. I cannot possibly believe just because I save lives in the medical office every day that somehow I am better than this garbage worker who picks up trash every day. Because why? There's nothing special about me that saved me. I was chosen. I don't know why I was chosen, but I was chosen. It levels the playing field. In the same way the garbage worker can never look at the the guy who's a a medical officer and say, "I'm I'm, I'm unworthy compared to this guy. He saved lives, I just pick up trash. You'll never be able to say that because why? It levels the playing field. You are a sinner saved by God's grace. You are a sinner saved because he chose to save you. There was nothing special about either one of you, and yet he picked both of you. And so you have no power, you have no you have no right and you have no claim to look at somebody and say, I am better or I am worse. It levels the playing field. And this creates a problem, right? It creates a big problem in the church or in just in general because you feel like, PT, it's, it still feels unfair. How could he save some and not others? How can this God that we say we worship and we love and that is the maker of all things, how could he save some and not others? It just still feels unfair to me. And now here's, I don't have a really perfect answer for you in that area, right? But here's my thing. If, if If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and we believe that God is who he says he is, right? If God has the ability, if he's big enough, if he's big enough so that you can question him about certain things, then he's also big enough for you to not understand why certain things are being done. He's, if he's big enough for you to question him, then you also have to realize that he's also big enough for you to realize there are things that he does that you do not understand. And you cannot fathom. But here's a, here, here's a better answer to the question of, you know, why some are not others? Why some are not others? It's, it's Jesus Christ died a horrible death to save that's really the best answer I got for you. Jesus Christ crucified is the best answer of why someone, not others. Imagine our church. We 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 got crazy. I'm not not crazy as in wild crazy, but crazy as in like mentally crazy, right? We decided we, we let's have a mass suicide. We all we're all in the same boat now. We're like, let's let's do it. Let's drink the Kool-Aid and let's just just burn this place down. And so here we are, we're all strapped down to our pews. Right, and we pour the gasoline on the outside, and we lit the place on fire, and it's just burning. And we're like, "Yes, we're all going down together." Right, one boat, one ship. We're all going to burn together. Can you say to the neighbor across the street who's looking at this and who could not intervene? Would you say to that neighbor, "You are an unfair person. You are an unjust person." Right. You. You are. because you did not uh, help them, well, I'm sorry. You, you cannot accuse a neighbor down the street of being unjust because some people died in that fire. You can't. You can't. You can't just look at the neighbor and say you're unjust because you didn't do anything. People died in this fire. It's not my fault. They're crazy, right? Like it's not my fault they all decided to drink the Kool-Aid and burn themselves to death. An, you can't accuse that person. But let's say, for example, one neighbor decides to see the fire burning, runs across the street, or run run over here through our neighborhood, oh, kicks down that door right, picks one of us up and we're just screaming and yelling, no, like let me die with TLC, ride and die, right, we're going down together and we're just screaming and yelling and everyone's tied down to their pews and they're like, don't take him, we want them too. and he's pulling them out one by one, throwing them on the outside, grabbing another person, pulling them on the outside, and in the process of doing that, this neighbor inhales smoke and he actually ends up dying because of the, of the fire. Would you look at that neighbor and say, this unjust mother, how could he only save a few people, right? What's wrong with this guy, right? No, no one, no, no reality would do that. You would look at the neighbor and say, this guy's a hero, right? He did not have to save, and yet he came in and he did it anyway. He had, no, he had no need to. They were the one that's crazy. They were the one that's dumb. They had no reason to, and yet he did it anyways. And in the Bible is the same way. We lit the fire. <laughs> we we, we drank the Kool-Aid, we lit the fire, we live in sin, we are dying. And Jesus Christ says, I'm going to die and save. You. And yet we have the audacity to say, How dare you save us? He had no need to save us. He had no need to intervene whatsoever into the reality of this world. He had no need to intervene in what fashion, whatever fashion. He chose to intervene. He chose to come and he chose to save. And yet we would have the courage to say, how dare you, you unjust, unfair man. No, we would say, why me? Right? Your answer would be, why me? What's so special about me? Nothing. Right? I chose you. At least I don't know what's special about you. You'll find out when you meet God, right? But why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you save me? Because God chose, because God chose. In verse 29 it says this. He chose chose the lowly things of the world. He despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God makes a point to show his love to the weak, lowly, without influence. He chose what is foolish to science the wisdom of the world. The word foolish is the word moronis, which means moron, right? It means moron. Every time I'm up here, I feel like a moron, right? Because God chooses morons like me, right, to reveal his truth to you. The only thing that God that's going to bring people together from a chaotic world that's broken and lost, okay, is the, is the doctrine that God chooses. The only thing that's going to bring us together in the church in the world that makes us influences that can actually help us to love people well is this doctrine. I know you might not think so, but this this doctrine. Let me tell you. Let me ask you this question, okay? Do you think that do you think that relativism brings unity? Meaning, like, hey, I believe this, you believe that, you believe that. It's okay as long as we love each other. You know, we can agree or disagree. We're, we're all good because okay? we just we're bonded by love. What happens when someone comes into that group that's bonded by love and says, I don't agree with you about this bonding by love? What happens to that person? He is excluded. There is no union. There is no love for that person. They're excluded. You don't believe me? Look Look at America, right? Look at our country right now. There is no diverse opinions anymore because unless you think the way we want you to think, you are excluded from this group. You are now, you are protested against, you are hated, and you are destroyed until you bow down and say, Yes, I agree with you. So, as long as you say we're all loving, we're great, but the moment you disagree with us, you're out. That does not bring unity. So, this, 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 this theme that we have going on in just in our uh, Western civilization that we think is so loving and so inclusive, it's not inclusive. It is one of the most diverse, divisive time I've ever experienced, right? The fact that you say something that's different, that's odd, that is against what other people who they think that they're right is saying, you're excluded from that. There's no connection there. There's no unity there. The same way religion doesn't bring unity. You think it does. It doesn't bring unity. A religious person would say, hey, you got to pray, man. Do your Bible stuff. Read more, right? Come to church. Because unless you do that, then you're not one of us, right? You hear that all the time. Unless you do that, then you're not connected to us. Unless you become more religious, you are excluded from us. But do you know what brings people in? Do you know what brings people together? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The gospel is very inclus- exclusive, right? This is, God's, this, is who he, this is who he says he is. This is what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is it. But it is the most inclusive faith ever. Do you know why? Because at the heart of the gospel is Christ on the cross. Dying for sinners. Not because they're special, not because they're great, but because he chose them. And so a Christian can never look on the outside and say, you don't belong. You're not worth it. You're lower than me. A Christian never says that. A Christian can never say that. Can never look at a person and think that they are somehow superior to that person. Because at the heart of the gospel is this doctrine of election. I don't even know why God saved me, but he did. So who am I to say that I am better than you? I'm not. If you understand that, if you make room for that in your life, listen, guys, if you're willing to make room for that, you know what happens? For that truth, you're going to stop judging people. You're going to stop looking at people and think like, ugh, really? Again? You're going to stop looking at people and think like, yeah, you don't belong with me. Oh, us. This is not, this is not your crowd. It's the gospel that can bring different cultures together, different ethnicity together, Right? The gospel does not exclude in any of that. The gospel says, you are a sinner saved by grace. I have chosen you. So what makes you think you're special? There's nothing about you. So why would you look at someone like that? You want to be influencers in this world? Guys, if you really want to make impact. The first thing you got to get out of your mind, okay, is this whole religious nonsense about doing things better, more, so that you can look more religious. That's out the window. At the same time, you got to get what goes out the window is this whole idea of, like, let's just love everybody, right? As long as we love everybody, everything is great. You got to get out of the window, too, because that only works with certain crews. It only works with certain groups. Once you're a different group stepping in, criticizing that, you're out. But the gospel teaches your heart to say, I know we're different. And we definitely do not agree. But I am no better than you. I have a truth that I want to share with you. If you listen to it, praise God. If you don't, praise God. But I am not better than you. Same thing, I'm not worse than you either. <laughs> All right? I'm not. Do you think God loves you because of what? If I ask you, why does God love you? Fill in the blank. God loves me because if the answer is not because of the blood of Jesus Christ you missed the whole point you missed the train you have not been listening at all to me preaching if your answer is God loves me because of my skill sets my abilities I'm useful I'm servant I'm humble blah 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 if you th- the list of any of those things you missed the point God loves me because of of the blood of Jesus Christ in my life. right? If you hold to this unconditional love of our God and you love others with the same grace and mercy given to you, it changes people. It doesn't change people because you're influencing them by outward appearance. You're not influencing them by social status. You're not influencing them by class. You're not influencing them by money. You're influencing them in such a way that changes the very fundamental depth of who they are. A transformation of babies playing with marbles, playing diamonds with marbles, right? To a man and a woman who understands the worth and the value of life itself. The gospel has that power if you would make room for Jesus Christ in that way. You are chosen, he says. I don't know why. Why? Can't say he's unfair. He had no obligation to save you, but he would. So your action, your reaction never be I'm better or I'm worse. It is only thank you and let me live this life to show everyone the truth of that. You guys get me? Right? The doctrine of election has this power to transform life. It has a power to bring unity as a power to connect deeply with people, all right? Don't negate it. Don't try to hide from it. Don't pretend. It is by the grace of God that you have been saved, nothing else, so that no man may boast. Let's bow our heads.